Well, good morning. We are in um, our second message of a series on stewardship that, um, that I'll be bringing a, a, out of four total. And last week, as we looked at the Sermon on the Plain in the, the Gospel of Luke, we uh, talked about stewardship. We talked about stewardship in a broad scope. And we defined it as it's used in the New Testament as manager, sometimes it can be uh, treasurer. Uh, even in secular literature, it was used for the chief cook, the chief chef. But more interestingly to us and more uh, to our message here today is a, a usage of the word steward in 1 Peter 4.10, and I shared it with you last week, and I'll just remind us this morning, um, in the little letter of 1 Peter, Peter writes in verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded, self-controlled, so that you can pray. And above all, he gives three commands, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Second, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And third, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And that word administering is our word that we've been thinking about uh, these last couple of weeks. So as stewards, when we went over to the Gospels, and that's where we're going to focus today again, we saw in, God, in uh, Luke's Gospel that it really starts with obedience. It starts with an obedient heart that's willing to do the hard things. And we looked at hard love. And I talked with several folks this week. They said, that is a hard message. When Jesus commanded us to love our enemies, to love each other, that's not always easy to do. But in the context of the great Sermon on the Plain, that's what He commanded us to do. And then He ended that section with that beautiful passage on give, and it shall be given you. And we'll end there again today. So it is really a matter of the heart. It's a matter of, in week one, we talked about obedience, and today we're going to talk about gratitude. Examining our hearts in light of a very interesting woman who came to a dinner party in the New Testament. So I would like to read the passage this morning, and it's in Luke 7, verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he, Jesus, went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. 
Well, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And Jesus told him this parable. Two men owed money to a certain money lender, a banker. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied in verse 43, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Then he turned, Jesus turned toward the woman, but he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, I've wrestled with this passage for several weeks and I think the best way to get at the truth here is to look at the storyline and look at the people. We'll look at the players, if you will. So the storyline is this. You have, G you have a Pharisee, you have Jesus, a sinful woman, and some other guests. Now the Pharisee, well, there's been much debate about who the Pharisees are and or were. Uh, pretty much everyone agrees that they were non-priestly experts in the Jewish law. They were interested in ritual purity and tithing. They did believe in the afterlife, and they were somewhat power brokers between the wealthy aristocracy and the masses of the people. They tended to be very legalistic and very judgmental. And... Um, looked down on sinners who were not adhering to the Jewish law. Well, then secondly, there is Jesus. And we had some, I think we have a, a PowerPoint on that, huh? Uh, so then we have Jesus as our second player, and he is reclining at the dinner. Now, 
There's a little pictorial that I found uh, on the internet, and that is picturing how they would have eaten a meal. Now, they would lie down in in a a three-cornered table, leaving one section open so the, the waiters can come in and bring the food and tend to the guests. And this is probably a formal dinner. Now, keep that in mind. The sinful woman heard that Jesus was there. She's unnamed. Who she is can only be conjectured, and their commentaries will have plenty of opinions there. But we really are not told by Luke. And then there were some other guests, and we'll see them again at verse 49. Well, here's the scene, and what a scene it was indeed. It's in verse 37, it's a Middle Eastern meal, and they're around the table, and this woman comes in. So you would wonder, how did she get in? Well, we've learned through studying the customs and the mores of these folks back in this time, that when there was a formal meal, it was given in two parts. And during the first part of the meal, the door was opened, and they often dined in the triclinium area of houses, and the poor could come in to the meal, and they, they could come in and get some bread, get some food, and they were allowed in, and that's probably how this woman got into this place. Now, we see in the next verse when she, when she came in, Luke tells us that she had lived a sinful life. Now, we don't know exactly what this was, but our imaginations can probably fill in the blank there. She had lost all honor in the community. Now, honor and shame is very strong in this society. And she has now come in and humbled herself Hearing that Jesus is there, she came in at the appointed time when she would have been allowed into this formal dinner, and she found Jesus and went straight to him. And you know, when I read this passage, I thought, it's almost embarrassing to read this. I mean, in fact, I I have a a little slide, I think, that we're we're trying to get to them there. it's, it's really, uh, this is about the most tasteful one that I could find. This woman came to Jesus and she's kissing his feet. Now, I did a little research on kissing. There's a lot of kissing going on in the Bible. <laughs> and they kiss people for different reasons. Sometimes it's affection. Sometimes it's... Um, a display of honor, sometimes it's a greeting, sometimes it's even betrayal. You remember that's what Judas did with Jesus, the kiss of betrayal. And so this woman comes in and she is weeping profusely and her tears are falling on our Savior's feet and she's wiping them with her hair and she is, she is kissing his feet. If you were an equal, In this society, you would kiss on the lips. If you were slightly inferior, you would kiss the other person on the cheek. But if you were totally subservient, 
you would kiss their feet. And often, rabbis, this was a sign of affection toward a teacher. And she is exhibiting all of those characteristics here. Now, the Pharisee, when he saw this, he is totally disgusted. And he said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman this is. Well, she's a sinner. Now, what's interesting is what Luke tells us. The man is thinking this, right? If you read this carefully, he, he has a thought, and Jesus hears it. I remember the first time I ever learned this. My, my grandfather was a, a pastor all of his life, Southern Baptist preacher, and I was young, and I had just become a Christian. I was in college, and my grandfather and my grandmother were talking. We were in the car, and she made a comment about somebody. And he said, now, Mabel, you ought not to talk like that. The Lord hears everything we say. And I would learn later from my grandfather, who taught me much of my theology in the early years, of formative years of my Christian walk, I soon began to learn, well, God even knows our thoughts when we think them. And the Lord Jesus knows this man's thoughts. And so he says to him, Simon, I want to I tell you something. And he says, tell me, teacher. I mean, he's being respectful. It's early in, uh, in Jesus' ministry, so the conflict has not really begun between Jesus and the Pharisees yet. And so he calls him teacher, which is a, 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 a term of affection and respect. So he told him the story, and, and I just read the story to you. There were two bankers, um, I mean, two, two men who owed the banker money, and he, one was 500 denarii. Well, a denarii is about a day's wage. So this man has 500 days to work just to pay the debt that he owes the bank. The other man has 50, and of course, the story is, if they're both of them had their debts relinquished, who's, who's going to be the most thankful? Well, of course, the guy that owes 500 is going to be more thankful than the one that only owed 50. I mean, that's human nature. I mean, that's an easy one. The Pharisee got it right, and Jesus affirmed that. But what Jesus is really doing is he is comparing this woman to the Pharisee. Now, what gets tricky with these parables are really where we see ourselves in the story. Because that's really the purpose of the story and the parable. So, notice in verse 44 how Jesus, or how Luke has Jesus address him. He turned toward the woman, so he's watching her as she kisses and wipes his feet, anoints his feet with perfume, and it's actually myrrh. Luke uses the word for myrrh. It's an anointing that came at Jesus' birth with the, uh, the wise men. They brought 
uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and myrrh will be used at the end of his life to anoint him for burial. So she has brought in this expensive perfume, this perfumed oil, and she's lavishing her gratitude upon Jesus' feet. And so Jesus is carrying on this conversation with the Pharisee, and all the other guests are around, who knows if they're listening or having their own conversations. But he says, Simon, do you see this woman? Why would he ask that question? I mean, of course Simon sees the woman. But he's asking the question, Simon, do you really see this woman? I came to your house, Simon. You didn't give me any water for my feet. It was a custom that when you came into someone's home, because of the dirt on the street, they would remove their sandals and their feet would be washed, often when the the servants of the house would do that. But Simon didn't do it. He made no provision for his feet to be washed. He said, you didn't give me any water, but she has wet my feet with her tears. And she's wiping them with her hair. Now, for a woman to let her hair down in public was disgraceful in that society. He said, you didn't give me a kiss, Simon. But she, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing me. In the the tense of the verbs that Luke uses, it's like this is going on. This is continually being carried out at this dinner. And yet, from when I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head. Often they would take oil and would put oil in the guests so that it would mask any uh, odors from the day. And uh, he didn't do any of that. But yet she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I want to tell you, Simon, she has been forgiven much. Now, as we compare these, and I'm not sure that we have that graph. I put a little graph up so you could see that. Each of the comparisons, what the haughty Pharisee did, what the humble woman is doing. Um, And so, Jesus makes his point. And as he looks at the woman, he's saying to this haughty Pharisee, her heart is right. And you're looking down on her, Simon. You think she's low life, but really your heart is the one that's filthy. Now, it wasn't that the Pharisee had few sins. It's not that he sinned little. The point is she appreciates what Jesus did. She's pouring out with all of her gratitude And her heart is right. I remember being asked to lead in a time of worship a few years back. And it was in another state. It was was a conference, a worship service where there were women who were in a halfway house. And they were coming for this worship service. And we went and... We had preaching and praise music, and it was a time of fellowship and, and, um, and Bible study. And I'll never forget these women. 
And as the, the leader of this conference told us, he said, all of these women are either coming out of drug addiction, alcohol addiction, prostitution, abuse, battered. He said their lives were just basically as low as people can go. And he said, you're going to hear worship tonight like you've never heard. And Dr. Butler, when we worship with, with Bethel Colony, it's like that. When folks who have been so down have been at the bottom and they find Jesus and Jesus makes a difference they have nothing else. There's nothing to lose. This woman had absolutely nothing to lose by coming into this place and showering Jesus with her affection and her... She, all the stops are gone. All she cares about is, I want to tell him how grateful I am that he has forgiven me. And in that society, to be forgiven means you have another chance at honor. Because in an honor-shame society, once you lose honor, all you have is shame, and it affects every area of your life. And she's coming in saying, I love you, I am grateful. And so Jesus is really comparing her heart to this haughty, proud, arrogant Pharisee who's looking down his self-righteous nose at this woman. I remember when Ron Dunn told me one time, you'll never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And this woman had nothing but Jesus. These women at the conference, they had nothing but Jesus, and they were some of the most joyous, thankful, extravagantly grateful people I've ever worshiped with. A wealthy man once told me in a, an evangelistic setting, I sharing, and he said, why do I need Jesus? I have everything I need. I could scarcely believe what I had just heard. <laughs> the greatest thing you need is Jesus, not your money. But he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He didn't get it. I don't think the Pharisee really got it. Well, Jesus takes the conversation to a whole nother level in the next verse. He says then to her, your sins have been forgiven. Now, everybody wants to debate in the commentaries whether she was saved before she got there or did she get saved while she was there. What difference does it make? Jesus has cleansed her from her sins, and she has come, and she's expressing intense gratitude for what he has done because that's what she's giving to him because she knows what he has done for her. And as you look at this passage linguistically, in this little section, these, the verbs that occur in these last three verses are pointing to a peak in the story. It's as if Luke is saying, this is the part I want you to get. 
Jesus said to her, your sins have been forgiven. The other guests who are probably Pharisees are sitting around saying, wait a minute, who is this who even forgives sins? And that's code for only God can forgive sins. And then Jesus blatantly, openly says, your sins have been forgiven. In other words, he's saying to these stodgy, proud, legalistic Pharisees, he is God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Jesus is God. And he has the power to forgive sin. And then just so we're clear about it, Luke puts in the last phrase, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. My granddad told me one time, and I've never forgotten, he said, Craig, the greatest sin of all, I believe, is the sin of ingratitude. Mm. I've never forgotten that. Daryl Bach writes, Luke and Scholar, I quoted him last week, he says, God offers great forgiveness to all to deal with their sin, and those who grasp it and receive it realize how much God has done, and they respond in acts of love. End of quote. The gratitude in our hearts is replicated in the actions of our life. So when we talk about being grateful and giving, it all comes from the heart. If we are obedient, as Jesus called us to be in the great Sermon on the Plain, then we realize as we look into our hearts what it is that God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that in turn initiates our responses to give. It could be giving love to people we know. It could be giving of our talents and our time as our musicians do every week in, week out. Giving of their gifts. And yes, giving of our substance. It's a reflection of how much gratitude is in our lives. Well, I've had eight points in this sermon, eight, eight sections of a story, but there's really only one main point. Adrian Rogers used to say, every sermon ought to have at least one point. So the point of application is this. Give and it shall be given you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure that you use, it shall be measured to you. And that's the sermon. And that's the point. 
of this story. Well, I'm, I know, and you know from the rest of the gospel, what these Pharisees began to do. They began to look for a way to take him out. But Jesus taught one of the greatest lessons. As I look at this really uncomfortable story, I struggle when I read this, this woman's public display, and yet I would rather be identified with her than the Pharisee, wouldn't you? (laughs) And that's Jesus' point. So, as we express our gratitude for what He has done and how much He has given to us, may we be known as Christians who give in the same manner. Father, we are grateful that Jesus came and He talked about the favorable year of the Lord as He came to relieve the oppressed and the downtrodden to heal the sick and the lame, give sight to the blind, yes, and heal us from our sin. Thank you, Father, that you gave your Son. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for us. Holy Spirit, make it now evident to each of us the ways in which we can show our gratitude through the way that we live Father, we pray that perhaps someone today, this might be a day when someone would say, I need what that woman had. And they would come and give their life to Jesus. And by faith, hear the words, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Father, for others of us, it might be something you prompt us to do where we haven't been showing gratitude, and we need to. Lord, deal with us now in this time of invitation. We honor you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.